I shared with some people on Tuesday night, I'm speaking on anxiety. How many think that might be a good topic? Anxiety. Ah, we'll find out that most of us are addressing anxiety in various degrees. Even your pastor has to battle anxiety. And I'll talk to you about how I address anxiety in my life, okay? So Lord, we thank you today. You're an amazingly good God. And uh, Father, we want to learn to trust you more. And my prayer today, and we've been praying this all morning, is that when we leave this place, all the burdens that we have in our hearts, all the anxious thoughts, all the challenges that we're faced with, all those things that we're carrying in our soul, we're going to lay at your feet. And we're going to feel so different when we leave today. We're going to feel free. We're going to feel hope. We're going to feel joy and a greater measure of peace in our hearts. I pray to this end, Lord, that you will release us as we hear this message on anxiety, that we will learn some tools and we will learn some means and ways to address this amazing battle that goes on inside our souls. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So... What a topic, anxiety. And I think in all of our lives, we have moments. And not one of us in this room could not say to me, Pastor, I've never had an anxious moment in my life. You know, you've had moments like that. And I'm not all saying that, you know, we're going to talk about what is a healthy level of concern and what is an unhealthy level of anxiety. We're going to look at you know, the physiological aspect of it. But deep down inside, we're going to find out that there's a deep root that I believe is spiritual. And we can address that root today. In July of 2008, in a magazine called Today's Christian, a mother tells of her struggle dealing with her college-aged daughter who was, you know, in a state of rebellion. And she was abusing drugs. And she said, I knew what I had to do. Abandon everything in life and start to worry. (laughs) Fix it and control it. How many here, you can honestly say you're a fixer and a controller. You want to fix the problem. You want to bring this thing under control, right? See, this is the same thing with this mom. I began to spend my days on the phone evaluating every reaction of my daughter, Allison. What if she never stops? What if I never see her again? What if she overdoses? What if she goes to jail? What if, what if, what if? How many are already getting a sense? We have a lot of what ifs. And when we go down that track, there's no end to the what ifs. We can just get so locked into all the bad stuff that could happen to us. We can start worrying about what tomorrow's going to bring. And that's not with anxiety. It's within us. We start worrying and concerned about what the future holds. She said, I lured Allison into therapy with the promise of eating at her favorite restaurant. I wanted to go into the counselor's office, but they wouldn't let me. I probed my daughter, trying to find out what was happening, but there were no answers forthcoming. This went on for weeks. Just when I thought she was no longer using her younger sister for me, she still was. Of course she denied it. What was I to do? I called a friend whose child had gone down a similar path. I hadn't slept well for months. A quick look in the mirror revealed that I looked like I was addicted. I had those dark, hopeless circles under my eyes. And I arrived at Linda's place. And the first thing she said was, you need help. 
you haven't heard the whole story, I said. I'm fine, my daughter's a mess. But when Linda confronted me, she said, you're addicted to worry and control. I know I've been exactly where you're at. The possibility that she might be right really terrified me. She later brought me to a support group that helped me to learn to trust God and allow God to work in your loved one's lives. That night when I arrived home, I prayed, God, I need your help. I cannot do this without you. I purposely and daily turned over every fear, every concern, and surrendered control over every situation. Two years later, meeting with my daughter for an impromptu lunch, my daughter laughingly stated, it was a lot easier now studying when you're not high on drugs. And then she surprised me by thanking me for what I said. When you didn't fix my problems, it really scared me. A few times I had to dig for change out of the seat of my car for gas money. Some days I didn't have enough food. Now I'm doing well. I have enough money in the bank. You know, recovery kind of defies logic. It means doing the opposite of what we often feel we need to do. And when I took care of my life and my own addictions to worry, fear, and anxiety, God helped me. God helped my daughter to take care of her addictions. Isn't that great? We don't think this way, but you know, anxiety and worry can do a lot of damage in our lives. So what's the real answer to it? Is it a medical problem or is it something far deeper? If anxiety is a spiritual problem, which the Bible tells us it is, only a spiritual solution will help us overcome this terrible tyrant in our lives. Does it ultimately affect us physiologically? In other words, does it affect my body? And the answer is absolutely. Yet the root issue is spiritual in nature. In other words, I can have panic attacks. I can physiologically become overwhelmed by anxiety, okay? That's a reality. And, you know, I may have to be treated. I may have to take some drugs to get that under control in my life. But here's what you need to hear. After doing all of that, if you don't address the root cause of it, the root issues of it, you're not going to be free from it. Okay? And if it's a spiritual problem, which the Bible suggests it is, then we better take a hard look at why we haven't addressed it at that level. You you know, we look at our culture today. Do you realize that we're living with anxiety, big-time anxiety, And part of it is because we've secularized, we've taken God out of the equation. How many know that when we, it all depends on humanity, when it all depends on us, and we get overwhelmed by circumstances, we're going to feel anxious. That's a very normal situation. And then we live in a culture that's totally geared to time. Isn't that, how many have noticed that? We feel tremendous time constraints. Sometimes they're imposed by others, sometimes they're self-imposed, but still we have that anxiety about getting things done. And then there are, you know, the financial tensions. Some people are just in this room right now, you're just anxious about, you know, making ends meet, taking care of your families. There's others of you, you're struggling with relational conflicts. You're going, I don't know what to do. It's creating a lot of anxiety within your soul. Then there's people in this room that you're battling medical issues. You're going, will I ever get healthy again? Will I ever be whole again? You know, and you're wondering about that. And it creates a level of anxiety in your spirit. And then there's all the future things, you know, You know, what happens when I get a little older? You know, what happens if I can't take care of myself? What happens if this? What happens if that? And so the future creates a lot of anxiety in our lives. And we wonder, you know, we're trying to, you know, take care of every eventuality and every situation. And we get anxious about these things. And often things are beyond our control. Isn't that true? 
We, we, you know, I always love when people are trying to, you know, be in control. The reality is we've never been in control. We're out of control, actually. We're really dependent, and we don't even know that. We're dependent on other people. We're dependent on more than that. In reality, is we actually are dependent on God, even though we don't always realize that. And yet we see the words of Jesus. You know, he promises us life. He promises us peace. He promises us joy. And we're going, yeah, and I'm stuck with anxiety. What's the deal here? Why is there a disconnect between what Jesus promises and what I'm experiencing? How can I move from, you know, this anxiety that I'm battling to the joy and the peace that Jesus promised? He says, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. I've come to give you life to the full. And in God's presence, the Bible says there's fullness of joy. That doesn't sound like anxiety to me, you know? And then he talks about peace that passes all understanding. I long for that. And that's what God promises. This Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, said it so well. No grand inquisitor has in readiness such terrible tortures as anxiety or worry. Today, people are consuming tranquilizers and sedatives by the ton and are running to counselors by the millions. In other words, we're hoping to somehow get better. We know we're tormented. We want to be free. You know, we know this is not healthy. We know that there's got to be a better way to live. And so we're struggling. And in our consumeristic society that promises so much and delivers so little, the pressures of life just seem to intensify. Isn't all the technology promises us greater freedom, but in reality we become bigger slaves? Isn't that true? We've become more addicted, more enslaved with all the technology today than ever before. It's amazing. For some of these anxieties, one of the responses, actually even an attack. We talk about panic attacks. I'm overwhelmed by anxiety, and we have these attacks. So what does Jesus have to say about anxiety? As a matter of fact, I would argue that anxiety has been a human condition from the very beginning. I can go to the Psalms where David wrote hundreds of years before Jesus, and he talks about anxiety. I can take a look at the words of the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about anxiety. He says, don't be anxious for anything. And then I can look at the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6. And he begins his message where he's talking about the very fundamentals of life. And he says in chapter 6 and verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Isn't that an interesting statement? If I just stopped right there, isn't that how powerful that is? Don't worry. You know? Remember that classical little country song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? There's a lot of truth in that song, you know? That was a good message. Don't worry. Be happy. How do, you, how do you get to that place, though? It's easier said than done, right, Pastor? Sure it is. Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. He says, don't worry about life, what you're going to eat or drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So now Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if God cares for the creatures on this planet, is he going to care more for his crowning creation, humanity? Of course he is. Who are you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? We'll talk about what benefit does worry bring or anxiety bring to us. And who do you worry, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? 
They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says something interesting. Oh, you of little faith. So Jesus is now linking anxiety to trust. That's an important linkage. and We're going to look at that. Part of our problem is that we have a hard time trusting God. And that's why we're anxious. Because we're looking to ourselves to solve the problem. Rather than looking to God to take care of us. Then he goes on to say, so don't worry. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans or the unbeliever, the the non-faith person is running after these things. And isn't that true in our world that materialism is the pursuit of people who don't know God? That's That's their life. It's all about this life. But you and I don't have to pursue what the consumeristic society is telling us. That's not the aim of life. Jesus is saying part of our anxiety is we have the wrong aim. We're targeting in the wrong direction. We have the wrong priorities. But he says here, hey, listen, I'll take care of all these things. Jesus said, you know, your heavenly father knows you need the the essential fundamental things of life. So he's not negating that we're not going to have need for food or clothing and these things. He says, no, don't worry about that. God will take care of that. And then he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not be anxious or worried about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, don't focus in on the future so much that you're anxious in your present moment. In other words, don't worry about all the things in the future. It doesn't mean don't plan, but he says don't worry about it. There's a big difference. So Jesus is not talking about a detached, who cares attitude about others or life in general. You see, there's two extremes. Here's the one extreme. I'm totally irresponsible. I don't care about anything. Okay? That's the one extreme. On the other side of the equation, I'm overly concerned about all kinds of stuff. I'm trying to get all these things done. I'm planning for the future. I'm worried about things. I'm like Martha in the story of Martha and Mary. Remember, she was frantically running around the house trying to fix dinner and upset with you know, Mary who's sitting listening to Jesus of all things. Why isn't she in the kitchen helping me out? Got all this work to do, right? And so she's over there anxious about this stuff. Jesus goes, you're missing the point. Wrong priority. Mary's chosen the better part. Jesus is telling us, when you have the wrong priorities in life, you will be anxious. So get your priorities straight is what he's telling us there. Wow. Now, Kent Hughes says this. There's a type of, quote, good worry, but we'll use the word concern. I think that's a better word. You know, because... You know, Luther himself says we are, not, we are to be anxious about the spiritual well-being of others. And he points to Paul as an example. And then Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches. So it's not anxiety. Remember, we have a balance here. See, I'm not saying don't be concerned. Paul said, I felt the weight of this. You know, when you start taking responsibility, when you're a parent, you feel the weight of your family. Fathers, don't you feel the weight of providing? Sure you do. We all do. That's a concern. But then it says, don't be anxious about it. So you can go too far. I'm overly anxious. And I've had moments in my life as a father where I've been overly anxious to provide for my family. That's very typical. Okay, that's human nature. We're going to talk about the antidote, how to get 
back to just having a healthy concern and not becoming filled with anxiety. He says then, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? In other words, Paul said, you know what? It distresses me when I see people turning their back on God. And I get that. I feel it deeply myself when I see people making bad choices and making ungodly choices because I know what's going to happen. I've lived long enough to know it's not going to go well for them. It may initially go well for them, but eventually it's going to be very painful. And that grieves my heart to see that. So we need to be concerned about the state, not only of others, but what about our own hearts? Our spiritual condition. As a matter of fact, Psalm 38 and Psalm 51 talks about, you know, being in that state where we're repentant and we have a humble heart before God. And then there's the care and concern that's inherent in any serious work for God. There's, Paul had that. Or the concern um, for what is good. But Jesus is counseling us against worrying that is self-centered and has a root as a lack of trust in God. You know, how many know that if you're building a significant building, you're the architect, wouldn't you have a little bit of a concern to make sure it's done right? Well, of course you would. Or, you know, you're an athlete getting ready to prepare for the Olympics. Aren't you going to be a little bit concerned about your performance at the Olympics? Well, certainly you will. That's part of the, uh, uh, makes, what makes people do things at a high level, right? But what happens when the athlete is overly concerned? They don't perform well. So there's that fine line between having no concern and having too much concern. And that's what we're talking about. How to find that sweet spot where we, you know, we're, we're responsible, but we're not so overly responsible. We're anxious and we're actually becoming paralyzed in our lives. You know, the distinction is sometimes very subtle. A preacher might be honestly concerned about a sermon that would be true to the text, practical, spoken in the power of the Holy Spirit and in love. Or he may simply be worried about his reputation, as Kent Hughes points out. The first is healthy and godly, the second is not. So what is it we're concerned about, says a lot about us. So once again, here Jesus is going to address the root issue. And it's a hard issue. That's what this Sermon on the Mount is all about. He's dealing with hard issues. And so he gives us three reasons why we shouldn't have that kind of worry or anxiety That really is an expression of practical atheism. You go, well, what's practical atheism, Pastor? Well, we carry on and believe it, you know, as if God doesn't exist. Like it's all depending on us. You know, sometimes we can say, I'm a believer, but our our lives is not evidencing that. We can say, I'm really trusting in God, but our anxiety levels are so high, it's saying to people, if you're trusting God, that's scary, because look what's doing to you. You know, that's not trusting God, see? And that's what I mean by practical atheism. I'm behaving as if God doesn't exist. And the reality is, I need to come to a place where I know God exists, and I know God is good, and I know God will take care of me. And therefore, I don't have to walk around filled with anxiety on the inside. So I want to take a look here at the three reasons that Jesus tells us not to be anxious or don't worry, okay? And the first one is simply that life consists more of our temporal needs. We got to get this in our heads. Life is more than just, you know, eat, drink, and be merry kind of a thing. That's that's an Epicurean philosophy. No, life is more than that. Our lives are transitory uh, and also transcendent. I mean, they're brief, they go by quickly, but... We're not just living for this life. We're living for eternity. This is just a staging ground, guys. God's preparing us for something far greater in our lives. Isn't that amazing? 
You know, if this was the only life we had, some of us could say this could be a terrible situation. But God is developing and training and, and, and preparing us for what he has for all of eternity. And so I want to succeed in the preparatory part so that I can actually enjoy also what God has in store for me for all of eternity. And we should all feel that way. Now, one of our biggest problems is when we just live to meet our physical needs, we lose sense of this higher calling. We lose a sense of what God's real purpose is for our lives. Now, think about that famous movie, Ants. Now, if you're a parent, you'll, you've probably seen this, you know. Anybody seen Ants? Oh, let me just give you a scene from Ants. You know, the camera pans down from a faraway view of a big city down to the blades of grass, to below the grass and into a room. And there the main character, an ant named Z, is lying on a leaf couch talking to his therapist. All my life I've lived and worked in the big city and I always tell myself, there's gotta be something bigger out there. Maybe, maybe I think too much. I think everything must go back to the fact that I was a very, very anxious child. My mother never had time for me. I mean, when you're the middle child of five million, you don't get a lot of attention. I mean, how is that possible? And I've always had these abandonment issues, you know. I mean, my father was basically a drone, and like I said, the guy flew away while I was still a larva. And my job, don't get me started on that because it really annoys me. I mean, I'm not cut out to be a worker. I feel physically inadequate. My whole life, I've never been able to lift more than 10 times my own body weight. (laughs) And when you get down to it, handling dirt is not my idea of a rewarding career. I mean, what is it? I'm supposed to do everything from the colony. Well, what about my needs? And what about me? I mean, I've got to believe that there's some place out there that's better than this. Otherwise, I would just curl up into a larva position and weep. The whole system makes me feel insignificant. And then I just put this little note. That's how most people feel. We feel trapped trying to make ends meet. If we don't have a compelling purpose that transcends this world, if we're just living as if one more purpose, I'm just one more person keeping the system going, then despair begins to overwhelm me. But if I see myself beyond that, it changes things. Well, the response of the therapist in the movie really reveals the sense of futility that most people live in our society. They just don't have a compelling vision that transcends this world. So the therapist responds, excellent, you're making real breakthrough. Z says, I have? Yes, Z, you are insignificant. (laughs) Oh, now how many know that's not the way God sees us? You know, as a matter of fact, listen to what the psalmist says. He says, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. How many see that God looks at us not as an ant? He sees us as the most significant creature of all of his creation. We got to see ourselves rightly. You know, we're not an accident. We were designed by almighty God to come at the right moment to fulfill a divine purpose. And when you catch a vision of that, it changes how you live your life. Well, the scene shifts. Millions of worker ants are shown all doing the same work. An elaborate network of tunnels is used by an endless line of ants carrying pieces of dirt. And in one area, newborn ants are assigned their lot in life in assembly line style. One newborn ant is labeled worker and given a pickaxe. And the next is labeled soldier and given a military helmet. 
As Z goes to his workstation, he says to himself, okay, I've got to keep a positive attitude, a good attitude, even though I'm utterly insignificant. I'm insignificant, but with a good attitude. (laughs) Well, to me, that's tragic. That we could feel we must bumble our way through life and that it all depends on us. How sad. Jesus is challenging us with that attitude. He said, life consists more than just the earthly stuff. And the moment we look above the earth and gaze upward, something happens to us. You know, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more important than that? Just our food and our clothes? What are we worrying about? He said the unbelievers chase after this stuff. In other words, the unbeliever is a materialist. He lives for the moment. He lives for this earthly life. He lives to get as much as he can. You see the bumper sticker, he who has the biggest toys wins. That's a philosophy, folks. And it's the wrong philosophy. Jesus says this, but you need to seek first his kingdom. And then all these other things that you need, the Father will provide for you. Do you know what's interesting? We probably all had these moments in our lives where we felt like, you know, I don't have what I think I want or I need. And we're complaining to God. And I had that one time, and I shared the story a few times in sermons, but I was sitting on vacation. A lot of people don't even get vacations. I'm, I'm complaining to God. I'm on vacation, right? At a beach in Vancouver. Beautiful beach, sunny day. You know, I'm, I'm sure God was looking out of heaven going, what is he complaining about? Look where I've got him. I mean, how many know it's kind of beautiful there? It was gorgeous. So, you know, I'm whining and carrying away and God just pulls me up short because I have my Bible. I'm reading the Bible. Anytime you're reading the Bible, it's dangerous because <laughs> God can really talk to you. You know, and I'm reading Psalm 16. He goes, what are you whining about? He says, I've given you an amazing inheritance. You're blessed. I go, oh. And then I started thinking about that realizing, yeah, I am blessed, you know? And then I, I, I walked away from that experience in my life where this thought, if I, if I need it, my father will get it for me. And if I don't have it, I don't need it. Or I don't need it at this moment. And when I need it, I'll get it. Just, I started relaxing. Do you know contentment is actually a state of mind? I've learned the secret to be content in any and every situation. And you know what that secret is? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret. God will give me the strength I need for the situation I find myself in. Biblical scholar D.A. Carson says, Jesus has been minimizing the ultimate significance of material possessions. Actually, in verse 24, we haven't read it. He had just warned his hearers that we cannot serve God in money. We can't be materialistic. And no doubt not a few among his hearers find themselves wondering, well, what about the necessities? That's a good question. What about the necessities? Well, it's all very well to turn your back on wealth when you're rich, but I've got a wife and children and I can barely provide them with food, clothing, and shelter. What are you trying to say to me, Jesus? In effect, Jesus answers that just as an earthly possessions can become an idol which deposes or dethrones God by becoming disproportionately important, so also can earthly needs become a source of worry or anxiety which deposes or dethrones God by fostering a lack of trust. Wow. That's pretty insightful. And I believe he's true. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. 
He's saying, listen, if you're, if you're anxious, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I really trusting God? See, that's the question we should be asking. We are challenged not to re- live uh, as unbelievers who pursue after the temporal things of life because they're blinded to eternal spiritual reality. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis says the key to overcoming worry is... No, he's, uh, he'll say it in something else in a minute, but he's saying this idea. The key to overcoming worry is to have a greater goal in life. As Lewis says, the glory of God and have, as our only means to glorifying him, the salvation of human souls is the real business of life. Now, if you really want to have a purpose for life that's really significant, move beyond yourself and begin to realize, listen, let's pursue what's eternal. And so many of us, we've pursued what's temporal. And that's why we're dissatisfied with life. You start pursuing what's eternal and you move beyond yourself, I guarantee you, you're going to be a lot happier. And yeah, there'll be challenges with anxiety. I don't think you can get away from that challenge. That's part of the warfare. That's part of the fiery darts the enemy throws at us. You know what's really fascinating? Billy Graham tells a story. We know who Billy Graham is. He tells the story of, a, uh, of uh, two brothers, John and David. John makes this great decision in life. He sets his mind on making money, and he does good. He's wealthy. I mean, he did it. He, said it. he, he, he met his goal. But you know what? Billy Graham pointed out in, the, in an old version of the Encyclopedia Britannica, next to John Livingston is simply, his name is listed, Brother of David Livingston. That's it. Now, in his day, you know, he acquired a lot of wealth, but he's just listed brother of David Livingston. So the question is, who is David Livingston, right? Well, if you Google his name, you're going to be shocked, but he pops up because he's the guy that penetrated into Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner, one of the early people going in there. This is after the apostle era, but I mean in the modern era. And while John had dedicated himself to making money, David had knelt and prayed, surrendering himself to Christ. He resolved, I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless it's in relationship to the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? He gave his life away. But you know what? He's remembered because he brought the gospel to Africa. And at 59 years old, well, this is what it's written. This is amazing to me. How many know Westminster Abbey is a pretty significant place in London. And they actually have stones there with, you know, that where they buried people. David Livingston is buried in Westminster Abbey. How many know you gotta be a pretty important person to be buried there? And this is what his inscription says. For 30 years, his life was spent in an unwearied effort to evangelize. In his journal, Livingston says on, on his 59th birthday, he wrote, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to thee. Yeah, beautiful. Let me move on to the second reason why we should not worry or be anxious. The first is that life consists more than just what's temporary. Number two, God places a high value on our lives as believers. We have a high value to God. How many say here you're a parent and your children have high value to you? Well, of course. Well, don't you think God in heaven who created us, he places a very high value on us. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses the illustration of birds and flowers to give us this lesser, greater concept. In other words, people are the most important element in his creation. Humanity is the crowning glory of his created world. What is even near to the heart of God is his own children who have been adopted into his family through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on Calvary. Think about what, he's, what it's cost him to have you and I as part of his family. He gave up his life. 
You know, if God provided for the other parts of his creation, how much more will he care for us? Now, you, you know what we say when, when we're complaining and saying, I don't have what I need, we're basically saying, God, you don't care for me and you don't love me. Aren't we saying that? Think about what we're saying. He's our father. You know, isn't he going to take care of you? Of course he's going to take care of you. You know, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Do they sow, reap, or store away in barns, and yet your father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? I like what Corey Ten Boom says. When I go, when I worry, or someone told her this when she was in a concentration camp. When I worry, I go to the mirror and I say to myself, this tremendous thing which is worrying me is beyond a solution. It is especially too hard for Jesus Christ to handle. After I've said that, I smile and I am ashamed. Because isn't that true when we're full of anxiety, we're basically saying, well, it's got to be too hard for God. That's why I'm anxious. You know, think about it. What is she trying to get us to realize? She's trying to get us to see that when we're not trusting God, we're going to be anxious. But if we're trusting God, the anxiety is going to begin to dispel in our lives. We're going to go, take deep breaths now. God's going to handle this. I know he's been faithful. I've been walking with him all these years. I even asked the people that are older than me in our church who've been outlived me. I said, has God been ever let you down? You're older than me. Tell me, you've been a Christian longer. You know what they said to me? Oh, God's always been faithful. Well, of course. You know, that's why when I was a brand new Christian, I was 21 years old, I go to the prayer meeting and uh, some of the old saints are like in their 80s would stand up and said, you know, I've served God 60 some odd years and he's never let me down. He's been faithful to me. You know what that did to me when I'm 21? I'm going, good. Because I know God will never let me down. I just heard that from somebody who's been serving him for 67 years. God is faithful. It's encouraging. We need to hear that. He begins by pointing to God's provision for the wild birds. Now, something we need to know. Again, balance. Ken Hughes brings it out. But what Jesus did not mean needs to be said to. He was not calling us to laziness or indolence. In other words, well, God will take care of me. I don't need to do anything. Of course, that's not true. Birds themselves instinctively make provisions for their future. How many know that's true? They build nests and all the rest of it. In fact, some argue that no creature works harder than the birds. Neither does the example of birds teach us that if we trust God, every day will be smooth sailing. See, I'm writing on this right now in my thesis in Proverbs because sometimes we take Proverbs and we make them promises and we actually make them say what they're not meant to say. They're situational. Sparrows sometimes starve. Sometimes they're eaten by predators and certainly they all die in a short span. That's true. But for the most part, most of them are flying around. Most of them are eating and most of them are being cared for. You go, well, maybe I'll be the one God doesn't take care of. You see how our mind works. It's not what Jesus is saying. Okay. I know how people think I work with people. You know, as a matter of fact, I love that little poem, Two Birds Are Talking, The Robin to the Sparrow. I really would like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. The sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that must be, they have no heavenly father that such as cares for you and me. Yeah, I like that. So, you know, I love that. Second illustration addresses the issue of clothing. You know, I really like this. The flowers, Jesus said, are more beautiful than actually Solomon in his entirely beautiful garment, right? You know, I've been to Israel in the winter time when it's actually rained and it's green and I've seen the flowers. And I'm going to tell you, I love it. It's beautiful, right? Remember that? All those beautiful colors. Ooh, so good. 
Do you know Sherlock Holmes? Do you know who he is? Okay, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, they're having a discussion and Sherlock's holding a rose. And he says to his, his, his friend in crime there, his friend not in crime, but you know who I'm talking about, his buddy, he says, there's nothing in which deduction is so necessary as in religion. Our highest assurance, he says, of the goodness of providence or the goodness of God seems to me to rest in the flowers. It's interesting. Watch what he says. All other things, our powers, our desires, our food are really necessary for our existence in the first instance. But this rose is an extra. It smells and its colors are an embellishment of life, not a condition of it. It's not only, it is only goodness which gives extras. And so I say again that we have much to hope from the flowers. What is he saying? He's saying God is so good. He doesn't just give us what we need. He gives us the extras. And flowers are an extra. Aren't they beautiful? I love flowers. They're they're great. Let me move on. The third reason why we should not be anxious. There's no positive benefit in it. How's that? You know, worry keeps us from enjoying God's gift of life. Do you know that? Every moment I'm anxious, I'm losing the moment I could be enjoying life. We move from being a celebrant to a complainer. Worry paralyzes us rather than energizes us. Isn't that true? You know, Jesus points out that worry does not help whatsoever. As a matter of fact, in verse 27, he says, who of you by worrying or being anxious can add a single hour to his life? And what's the answer? Worry's not gonna get you more time. Worry's not gonna get you more money. Right? Think about it. Another reason why worry is counterproductive is that it robs us of the energy that is needed for living life today. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day or each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, I have a theory about life. I'll give it to you right here. God gives us the necessary grace for each day. He gives you so many units of grace. He knows exactly what you're gonna need today. Some of you are going to need more units of grace than another person because you're going to have more challenges today. You're going to need more grace. Okay, follow this thinking. But if I'm trying to solve the problems of tomorrow, it's robbing me of the grace I need for today. And we need to trust that when the tomorrow comes, God will give us the grace I need for tomorrow. So why am I worrying about tomorrow? It's not going to do me any good. Jesus is basically saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Corey Ten Boom says it this way, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. That's very insightful. So how should we live? If life consists of more than just temporal needs and we realize we're valuable to God and God cares about us, then anxiety and worry are not healthy. Oh, we know that. We know it's paralyzing. We know it creates all kinds of you know, unhealthy things inside of our body. So what should our focus be? One, we're not just living for this life. We have an eternal perspective. Isn't that true? We need to grab that. Number two, we need to put first things first. We need to have the right priorities. God's kingdom first. You know, I made that decision as a young Christian. I'm going to put God's kingdom above everything else. You know, I haven't been disappointed with that decision. That was a good decision. You know, think about it. So what do I do when I'm attacked by anxiety? I'm going to give you what happens when I'm attacked by anxiety. Because I get attacked by anxiety. It may shock you. Number one, here's what I do. 
I remind myself that my focus has moved from the solution to the problem and I need to return to that place of spiritual rest. In other words, I'm focused too much on the challenges before me rather than on the God who can solve the challenges. Do you realize that? That's what I'm doing. And so the other thing I've noticed, uh, well, here's my, one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Another translation says it this way. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me, God says. So I think to myself, okay, Paul, you got to think about where your mind is at. If I'm focusing in on Jesus, anxiety has no hold on me. I got to go there. As a matter of fact, Jesus, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and you shall find what? Rest for your souls. Learn of me. I am humble of heart. He's challenging us to, you know, come to him. And you're going to find spiritual rest. Peace comes when I look to God rather than the challenge. Now, does that mean I just avoid the challenge? I'm going to tell you right now, I'm finding now it's harder to be a leader in our world today than ever before. You go, why, pastor? Because I believe our culture has moved further away from God and therefore we're more secularized in our thinking and we don't trust God anymore. And so what's happening is people are weaker and more fragile and more frail and if you say the wrong thing, people get easily offended. That's the truth. So if you're a leader, you're always in trouble with somebody because people are more fragile. Think about it. You know, if you grew up during the Great Depression and survived World War II, you had a totally different mindset than today where we've lived in affluence and prosperity. And now we, we have a totally an entitlement mentality. And if somebody looks at you the wrong way, you're, you're, you're offended and indignant. That's what's happening. So try being a leader in that new reality. You know, I'm sitting around now going, man, every day I come to work and I go, what's the new situation I'm going to be faced with? And that's the way it is every single day. Every single day. I'm dealing with stuff. And I don't remember doing this when I was a lot younger because it was a totally different time. Things are changing so dramatically. So, you know what? What's step number two? I gave you one, get my mind on God. Number two, it says pray with thanksgiving thereby committing the challenges to God. I love Philippians 4, one of my favorite chapters of the whole Bible. Do not be anxious about anything. By the way, that sounds like a command to me. That's an imperative. That means don't be anxious. Rather, but, rather, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What's the result? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many think that's amazing? So what is he telling me? He's saying, okay, I'm, I'm beginning to feel a measure of anxiety. What am I anxious about? I'm going to bring this to God. I'm going to start thanking God for the answer right now, and I'm going to wait. Peace is going to come over me. How many of you have actually done this and it works? I got my hand up. Okay, here's what you need to know. But why doesn't it keep working? Some of you are going, you know, it works for a while, Pastor, but then it stops working. Anybody have that experience? Oh, because you're getting anxious again, right? Why is that anxiety coming back then? Well, verse 8 tells you. 
It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So he's telling me, this is where your mind needs to be. What happens is we default back into thinking about our problems, our difficulties, our trials, and then we move back to anxiety. Come on, let's be honest. Isn't that the way it works? Of course that's what's happening. So I've got to talk to myself and say, look, if you want to be anxious, just keep thinking this way. If you want to be free from anxiety, you better focus on the right stuff. I better focus on God. I better focus on his ability. And by the way, if God created heaven and earth, why can't he handle this little problem that I'm dealing with? He can. You know, I've got to make a decision. I've got to make a decision. Then you need to pray for wisdom. Can God give you wisdom? Of course. You should see me. I walk around my office. I'm going, God, give me wisdom. I need to know what to say here. Sometimes I'm going, I can't say this. I can't say that. I have to watch what I'm going to do here. No matter what I do, sometimes I feel like I can't win. You know, how many ever felt that way? You know, I feel like I'm walking on a tightrope. But you know, when I'm praying to God, God gives me wisdom because he says he will. It's true. You know, it takes a lot of wisdom to be a leader today. So what is God's answer for anxiety? Number one, no God cares. You need to settle that in your heart. Does God care about you? Does God care about you? Does God care about you? Thank you. So why are you questioning that? Don't be anxious. He's there. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter if I'm weak, I'm old, I'm frail. My last, I don't know how it's all going to work towards the end, but I know one thing, God's going to be right with me all the way to the end. He's going to hold my hand right till I walk into eternity. He's going to take care of me right till the last minute. I can relax. I don't have to be anxious about all this stuff. Number two, I'm living for a greater purpose. Mm, Isn't that good? I think it is. You know what? Some people try to address anxiety by running from it. You say, how do people run from anxiety, Pastor? Well, the Desert Fathers, who were a protest movement against worldliness, spoke of busyness as moral laziness. Busyness can be an addictive drug, which is why victims are increasingly referred to as workaholics. Yikes. Yeah. Busyness acts to repress our inner fears and personal anxieties as we scramble to achieve an enviable image to display to others. We become outward people obsessed with how we appear rather than inward people reflecting on the meaning of our lives. That's a pretty challenging thought. So you can do the lazy work and just go, I'm going to run from anxiety. Or you can do the hard work and say, you know what, I'm going to fight anxiety by trusting God and knowing that God cares for me. Let's stand. We're going to close. I've got three minutes. <clears throat> When we came to the service today, when I met with the guys to pray this morning, you know what I said to them? Here's my prayer. That when people leave this place, they'll be different than when they came. That we're going we're gonna to lift to God every burden we have. We're going to lift every anxious thought right now. We're going to lift every care, every concern, every fear. We're going to lift all these things to God. One of my smart guys in my room, which was really smart for him to say this, he said, Pastor, remind them to cut the rope. Because I know exactly what he meant. Because what happens is we can have this moment where we're going, God, I just gave you everything. And for about an hour or two, we feel great. And then we start reining them all back in again. Right? Right? Come on now. We're not going to do that today. 
We're not going to do that today. We're going to lift 10,000 pounds off our souls today. Because we're going to say, God, this is what you say. Casting all our cares on you. Because you care for us. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let go of all my fears, all my sorrows, all my anxious thoughts. I'm going to let go of all my problems and challenges today. I'm just going to give them to you. And I'm not picking them up again. When those, the arrows of the enemy come to bring me back down to succumbing to my fears, my anxious thoughts, my mind is going to go back to you. That's why I live in Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him or her in perfect peace if our mind is on you, Lord. It's not denial. It's just saying I'm reminding myself there's a God who cares. He's bigger than my troubles. He's bigger than my problems. He can give me the wisdom to deal with things. It's not becoming irresponsible. I have responsibilities. I know what they are. I'm not going to be irresponsible, but I'm going to trust God. And I know in my heart of hearts that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So I'm going, God, you're going to take all of this that's happening and you're going to turn it around and use it for good. I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm just going to trust you with it. With every head bowed here today, I believe God's going to speak into your hearts. Some of you say, you know what, Pastor? I have been anxious. I have been fearful. I've been upset. You know, I'm not enjoying this abundant life or this peace. You know, I have to admit, I have to keep battling. It's a battle to stay in that place of peace and joy. But if I focus on the Lord in His presence, His fullness of joy. How many here say, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to allow lift my hands that represent all my concerns. I'm just lifting them to God right now. I'm going to lift them to God. All my anxious thoughts, my finances, my relationships, my future, my physical maladies, my sicknesses, I'm just going to bring them to God right now. I'm just lifting this all to you, Lord. I'm going to give them to you. I'm not going to hold on to them. I'm giving them to you today. And Lord, help me right now to cut the rope. I don't want to pick them back up again. And when they come back to me, which they will, these thoughts, remind me that you are here. Remind me that your presence is here. And I want to just thank you for who you are. Because I want to be sustained by that perfect peace that will walk me through situations and circumstances that are beyond my ability to handle. And so, Father, we do that today. We lift our hands and hearts to you. We lift our minds to you. That's where the battle is being fought. There's anxiety and fears and all these things that come our way. We cast them all upon you today. We pray that you will take this load off my spirit, my soul. All of the brokenness, the disappointment, the hurt, the offenses. Just lift them to you today. May you just lift my spirit right now, Father. Lift my soul. I lift my soul before you. Even as the psalmist cried, Why are you disquieted, O my soul? You shall yet find hope in God. Put your faith in God. Lord, I shall put my faith in you. 
My hope is in you today. You are my refuge and my strength, an ever-present help in this hour of trouble. Thank you for it. Thank you for it, Father. We're releasing right now all these cares, right now. Just We lift them to you. And we thank you. Right now we're receiving your love and care, your tender mercies, your faithful love. We receive it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.